Okay, family, this morning um, we have a special treat. Um, as you know, um, every few weeks or so, we have um, a guest speaker come and share the word of the Lord with us. I just think it's so important for us to hear the, hear the word of the Lord like through all of his ministers, like through different perspectives and experiences and different backgrounds and cultures. Like That's so valuable. It adds like a richness to the scriptures. And this morning, though, is, is very special, you know, even to me and Sly, for us to have um, the Galvin family with us. Uh, Jim and his wife, Beth, um, we go way back to Bible college about 20 years ago at Zion together. Um, we've just been good friends, roommates. And um, not only is Jim uh, an anointed and gifted uh, speaker, um, I think he's probably even a better uh, leadership development guy, like as far as speaking into people's lives and drawing out what the Lord has planted in you and raising that up and call, calling that into fruition, drawing that potential out. So Jim, uh, thank you so much for being here this morning. It's all yours. Good morning, everybody. Sorry to cough into the microphone as I turn it on. My fault. Good morning. Good morning. Praise God. Thank you, Salai and team. Worship was great this morning. I so appreciate that. Um, I just want to get right into it. I'd love to sit here and tell you wonderful stories about me and my family and coming to visit you. And I could tell you a lot of dirt about Ed. I'll be here after church. So if you ever want to know anything on your pastor, blackmail material is available. I'll set up a table in the back. But um, uh, <laughs> true is I just, want to, I just want to share the word that the Lord has put on my heart today. So uh, let's pray and we'll jump right into it. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for what you're doing in this house today. I thank you, Father, that you dwell here, that this isn't just a place of visitation, but it's a place of your habitation. Father, and I pray, Lord, for every single one in the sound of my voice today, that there would be victory in our lives, that there would be joy in our lives. Father, I ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we would come to understand the fullness of your joy, the full measure of what you gave us when you sent your Son to die on the cross and give us new life. Father, I ask that you would be our joy. So prepare our heart soil to receive today. May we be active listeners, not just spectators to a message, not just a group of people that hear what you've spoken to me and I get to relate to them, but Lord, I pray that they would store in their hearts the things that you are saying them to them today. May they take note of what you're speaking to them. May they be active participants in the sharing of your word. May it become alive in their souls. And may they go from this place, not just with joy in their heart, but a passion to study out the things that come from heaven, that they may know the spiritual blessings that have been stored up for them in heavenly places. And today, specifically, freedom Enjoy in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. So today I want to talk to you uh, about joy because Ed told me it was Advent season and it was the third week of Advent, so I had to preach on joy. There you go. All right. So I'm just being obedient to my leadership here and uh, serving you. Uh, but truthfully, God has a plan for us today. I want you to look at your neighbor and repeat my sermon title to your neighbor, okay? Could you just look at your neighbor and say, the struggle is real? And the struggle is real, right? I do that not because it's corny and uh, it just buys me time here at the pulpit to chew my cough drop, but uh, I, say, I say that because I want you to be participants today in this message, okay? So help me out. Don't let me be the only preacher in the house today, all right? So let me know when God's talking to you, right? We can have some fun together. So thank you. Thank you. All right. 
So here we go. I want to talk to you today a little bit about the Advent story. I know when I was a young boy, um, I used to hate the Christmas story. Luke chapter 2 would come out every Christmas morning, and my mom would make us sit as she read somewhere near 20-something verses. Uh, and I remember how it started in the days of Caesar Augustus. And boy, by the time the shepherds were rejoicing, I was too, because she was going to finally pray and be quiet, and I could open that present with the big red bow on it. <laughs> but I didn't go back for years to the, the Christmas story because I was traumatized. I had to go through some healing and uh, get to that place where I could once again accept the story of Jesus' birth. Um, all the kidding aside, um, I think sometimes when we read Scripture, we read verse 1 to get to verse 2, to get to verse 3, and we miss the meaning that God has for us in the Word. Because sometimes we move too quickly. We're trying to master a text instead of allowing a text to master us. And so today, I want to start off with sharing with you some history, some of the story that goes behind what happens here in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, in the story of Jesus' life. Now, history is just history. That's not supposed to be a good sermon that you agree with or disagree with. You know, uh, back in the day, you would have ripped open old school. Everybody that isn't technologically savvy would be opening up their Encyclopedia Britannica, right? And all the newer generation would be Googling it. But you can go and find history anywhere, right? You can get the story. And so the facts are the facts. They're not meant to change us. But the question is, can we relate and realize that the struggle was real then? The struggle is real today. And we are all going through it. The question is, who is going to be Lord of our lives? I'm going to ask you three things today. Who is Lord of your life? Are you walking in the freedom of joy? And are you walking in the power of the Holy Spirit? I'm telling you that now, so if you're taking notes, write it down. We'll get to the points. We'll cover them. But the struggle is real. Who is your Lord? Lordship in your life. Where is the Lordship stand? Freedom and joy in the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's start with a little bit of historical background. We're going to go to Luke chapter 2 and verse 1 says this, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And the census took place while Quirius, yeah, you know, someone once told me that when you come across a name you can't pronounce, just say it really fast and no one will know that you messed up. But I still struggle with it. Uh, Was governing over Syria. Okay. I don't know if you know these guys, but I've met a couple guys in the days that would say, in those days, back when I was in high school, in those days, and the stories go on, right? But I want to talk to you about in the days of Caesar Augustus. And I want to give full credit. uh, When I started getting back into Luke chapter 2 a number of years ago, I came across this guy by the name of, uh, oh my goodness, my mind just... Mine just went blank. His name was Shane, uh, Shane Willard. And uh, he does a great historical uh, understanding of, of Scripture and gives great historical background. So if anybody wants to Google him later, I want to give full credit to a lot of my historical references to him. But at the same token, I've studied it out, and over the years it's become mine. Okay? So I want to share with you what it meant to be in the days of Caesar Augustus. In the days of Caesar Augustus. So... When we talk about the Caesars, and I don't have time to get into this, I really don't because I want to talk to you about joy, but you got to understand some background. In the days of Caesar Augustus, the first Caesar was who? Julius, right? Not just famous for the salad, but also ruler of the Roman Empire, right? So Julius 
Uh, did come up with a good salad, but other than that, uh, he was kind of a crazy dude. He thought himself to be God, right? And he proclaimed that, that in him, the fullness of God existed, uh, which was a strange claim, but definitely something there for a tyrannical ruler to use to make people worship him. His whole way of proselyting people and, uh, you know, evangelism technique was, uh, convert to believe me as Lord or I'll shoot you. You know, it was a pr- pretty good technique. He had a great conversion rate, um, also a high genocide rate. Um, but so C- Julius was uh, Caesar, and he considered himself to be God. And and uh, one day he was in a battle with a general named Pompey, and he got stuck behind enemy lines, and his great nephew, Octavius, came and rescued him from behind enemy lines. And in doing so, Julius got uh, uh, started seeing a lot of favor in Octavius and made his great nephew, he adopted him to him as his son, His name later became Augustus, Caesar Augustus. So when Julius died, which again made it hard to claim himself as God because he was stabbed in the back by one of his general friends named Barak. And if you got stabbed in the back and you called yourself God, don't you think you would have seen that coming? But that's a whole nother story. Um, So I'm God and, and I got stabbed in the back and I died. And so here's some more interesting history, right? So Julius dies and and. Caesar Augustus is taking over, and he wants to continue to propagate the message that Julius was Lord and that he was the son of God. If Julius was God, then he was definitely the son of God, well-adopted great-nephew, but still the son of God, and so he wanted to share that message. And so it just so happened that coincidentally at the time that Julius died, there was this thing that happened uh, something in the heavens, right? You got to remember the world at this time, it was still flat. There was no telescopes. There wasn't really modern science as we know it today. But just around the time that Julius died, this star appeared in the sky and it crossed over the Judean region. Uh, and it said in history that it lit the skies for seven days and seven nights, which we know today to be an exaggeration because we have science. And we can go back and we can figure out the math. And we know that right at the time that Julius died, this thing happened in the skies. It was called Caesar's Comet. And so Augustus said, well, if my father, Julius, is God, well, then this is him ascending into the heavenly realms, and therefore he must be God, and therefore I am the son of God, and I am the incarnate features of that divine being, Julius, and here I am, the savior of the world. Right? Kind of crazy. If you read the historians of that day, there was a guy named Virgil who said stuff like this. Caesar is God in flesh. The only way the world can be saved is through the name of Caesar Augustus. Familiar language? Uh, and so here's this guy, Augustus, who is ruling and reigning in that time, who has celestial evidence that he is the son of God. I don't know if you're seeing any similarities to a story that we're about to read in Luke. But anyway, he has this star in the sky that's seen by locals, and then he's able to use that to claim his son of godness. He was so narcissistic that Augustus actually, um, you know, wanted everybody just to celebrate his birthday. I have a sister who doesn't have a birthday. She has a birthday month. Have you met someone like that? Yeah, no, it's 30 days of Jillian Pelkey, right? And then she just loves her birthday. Well, Augustus was kind of the same. He started uh, a birthday uh, celebration on December 19th, and it would go until the 31st of December. It was 12 days of celebration of his birth. 
<laughs> love gave to me. Oh, yeah. Uh, so anyway, 12 days of celebration for Caesar Augustus. And what he called his birthday celebration was Advent. The Advent of Caesar. And, and he was trying to get the whole world to know under the Roman Empire, from Spain to India, he wanted the whole Roman Empire to know that he was Lord and Savior, that he was the Son of God, right? And so, uh, you know, unlike today, you know, the people of the Roman Empire had a hard time trying to figure out what was real news and what was fake news because there were so many people involved. Um, definitely not like today at all. And so the Roman Empire kind of just, I'm not going to touch that. Uh, the Roman Empire kind of, they said, well, this is how you're going to know that it's real news because the town criers, they were unreliable. There wasn't printing presses or internets. And, and, and so it was challenging. So they said, anything that I put on the money, the currency of Rome, that would be true. True news. And so during Advent season, Caesar Augustus decided to create coins with his face on the front. It said Caesar Augustus on the back. It was a star and it said, Savior and Lord. It was called an Advent coin and he made people take holidays during this time and, and they would be in the season of Advent and they had to celebrate Caesar um, because there was Roman soldiers standing all around that made you sing and chant the Roman slogans. And some of those slogans read like this. Let me see. Caesar is Lord, no other name by which men can be saved. Caesar is Lord, peace on earth, goodwill to men. Uh, one, one historian named Earth, uh, Earther Bart Stauffer. You know, you have to be a historian with a name like that because you're not going to get girls any other way. But Erthobart Stauffer, uh, he said the entire empire quaked with the slogans, Caesar is Lord. There was a place uh, just about 75 years ago, they found a tablet um, in this city called Prien, just outside of Prien. And, and, and Caesar was so, or rather, Caesar Augustus was so narcissistic that they had them change the beginning of the calendar year to the, right after the advent of his birthday. And so on this tablet, the rulers of Rome had to send out a decree as to all to why they changed the new year. And in this, I don't have time to read it all to you, but they used language like, Caesar is Savior. Hear the good news of the gospel of Caesar. Caesar is Lord and Savior. He is the multiplier of bread. Wow, there's some language in there that just kind of makes me amazed, right? And so you can feel free, Google it, look it up, get your Encyclopedia Britannica. I don't know how you go about doing it. I want to give you credit however you get there. But these were the days of Caesar Augustus. These were the days of Caesar Augustus. As I keep track of time here, let me quickly hit you with a couple other players uh, in the region at the time. Uh, I want you to understand that it wasn't pretty. Many of you might say stuff like the world is falling apart. It's getting worse. The reality is, let me tell you, the world is getting better. In the, in the, the reign of the Caesars, there were generals that were just horrible people. There was a guy by the name of Germanius who was around about 50 years before Jesus. He created probably one of the first genocides of the people of Israel and, and he would kill anybody that would not 
claim Caesar as Lord. There was Pompey who took 12 million slaves um, during his reign. There was Titus who enslaved 500 people a day in the city of Jerusalem. Uh, there was a guy by the name of Cassius, right? And he went to this place called Magdala. You ever hear of this lady, uh, Mary Magdalene? Yeah, well, she was from Magna, Magdala. And, uh, and, and he decreed that uh, after taking over this city, that everybody in the city was Roman property. Um, and he did this because, you know, every good Roman soldier needed a woman as property, and I'll leave it at that. And you want to know where Mary Magdalene came from and why she had issues and why she needed a savior and a Lord that did not look like someone with a wreath of garland on his head, but a crown of thorns, why she needed a true savior and Lord, because there was tyranny and, and abuse and horrible things that happened. Uh, there was this guy, and I don't have time to get into all of this, but this is a fun one, right? And I can't not talk about history because it gets me excited. There was this guy named Varius who decided to kill 2,000 Jews in one day to quelch a messianic revolt in the region at the time. 2,000 Jews in one day. And let me just, he did this in a place called Sepphoris, right? And Sepphoris was about 300, or sorry, 750 meters from a small town called Nazareth. And so he lined everybody up on the road and he crucified 2,000 Jews in one day. Which begs the question, do Roman generals travel from Rome with a bunch of crosses on their carts? No, as a matter of fact, the Roman generals would conscribe the local carpenters to build them crosses and give them a pass from being crucified if they would build crosses for them, which makes you ask the question, how many crosses did Jesus and his family have to make before he ever hung on one? Just a question to ask in the days of Caesar Augustus. What did the days of Caesar? The struggle was real. The Roman Empire had a symbol that they would use. It was an eagle. They'd put it on a stick. Many of you have seen movies with Roman eagles, right? And they were up on top of their flagpoles. And, and it, was, it was something that they would look to as a symbol of strength and power. And whenever someone had the eagle on the end of a stick and they would come by and they would hold it over you, you had to acknowledge the eagle and say, Caesar is Lord. So in the middle of the festivals of tabernacle and the festival of feasts and on Pentecost when the Romans would ride through the streets and you were singing praises to your Lord and Savior, they'd come out with an eagle and put it at the end of the stick and say, no, acknowledge Caesar is Lord, right? And it's a powerful thing. So I say to you this, all this history to understand the context that when, when someone shows up on the scene, when angels stand in the heavenlies and declare glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill to men. When they, the angels say, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy to all the people. When they start to declare things like this, they're saying, not just that Jesus is being born, but you've got a guy who rules with fear and terror who taxes you to fund his political regime. But we have a God that comes in peace and love. We have a God that doesn't just rule over you, but serves you. We got a God, unlike Julius, who's dead. We have a Savior that is alive. Amen? Listen, this is where it starts to, I have to ask you the question. When you go to bed at night, not just today, not just Sunday morning, when you got 
you know, your coat on and your happy face and there's a Christmas party coming and I get my Jingle Bell sweater on and and I'm ready to swap my cookies. Not when I just put the face on, but when you lay your head down on your bed at night, what's on the end of the stick? Who is Lord of your life? Is it fear? Is it depression? Is it anger? Is it unforgiveness? What stick beats you at night? Who is really Lord over your life? Is it the sickness? Is it the cancer? Is it the pain? Is it the failure, the sorrows, the shame? Is it the recent divorce? Is it the money troubles? What is the thing that's on the stick that is held over you that you acknowledge as Lord, even in the midst of your worship to God on a Sunday morning? I have to ask you, churches, and I know many of you are saved and know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but the reality is that many of us struggle with the Lordship of Christ because there are things in our lives that we put over Him. Ephesians chapter 2. I was in a study recently with my 15-year-old daughter, who I'm very proud of, who's sitting here with me today. and um, We were in a Bible study, and we were studying out this verse together. At the end, uh, let's see, where is it? At the end of chapter 1, it says this, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 22, and he says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And I'm sitting there with my daughter, Emily, and she says, we draw it out. She's an artist, right? So she draws it out. So she says, well, Christ is the head. So she draws a picture, a little circle, head, Jesus, right? Great. Then there's a little square body, very box-like, very kindergarten. It's okay. Box in it. She put a little church with a cross on the top, church, head, body. And for the feet, she made another longer rectangle that said all things. And in that moment, as we were talking about it, she said, Dad, and I believe it was just the Holy Spirit speaking to her in her life, she took the paper and flipped it upside down and she said, The reality is, is that's probably how I live most of the time. Is that I put all things over my head and in doing so I put Christ under my feet because I get confused by the size of the things I see, not just believing in the promises that we sung about this morning, not believing in the faithfulness of God. We put all things over our heads and we salute all things, our Lord and Savior of our life, instead of actually acknowledging that Jesus Christ is the head and Lord over all. I don't know how it works for you, but many times I just need to turn it back upside down, right side up, and I need to realize and recognize that Jesus Christ is Lord. The struggle is real, friends. It's not easy. Recently, I've lost my job. I have five kids. I live in a very affluent community. I need to make money to survive. But you know what? My God is faithful. Listen, I'm not going to lie. The struggle's real. There are days when it's not good. But there are days when it is very good because his promises are yes and amen. Because the calling of God cannot be revoked in my life by any one of you. No man, woman can take away what God has given me. And if I can stand on the truth of what he's given me and he's Lord over my life, then all things are under my feet. Every principality, power, ruler of this age and the age to come are under his feet and in turn under mine. So stand in the joy of the Lord today. Realize what you have. Realize the promises and the faithfulness of God. 
But you got to understand the struggle has been real for generations and generations. Let me tell you what it says in Romans chapter 14. It says righteousness, joy, or righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the kingdom of God. I've been made righteous because Jesus died on the cross and rose again. And then he filled me with peace and joy and the power of the Holy Spirit. I can't operate in this way when I have not been filled with the freedom and the fullness of the kingdom. It says in John chapter 14 that I will give you peace. Peace, peace, not like the world gives, but peace as I give, a peace that lasts, right? Philippians chapter 4, I believe it is, chapter 4 and verse 7 says this, cast all your cares on me, Mm. Mm. and I will give you a peace that surpasses what? All understanding. Look at your neighbor and say understanding. Yeah, understanding. I don't need understanding when I have the promises of God. I just have to simply cast my cares on him when he's Lord of my life because he's unlike the Caesar who just wants to imprison and enslave me. He's a savior that wants to serve me. He's a God who gives good gifts to men. Amen? I don't have to understand because while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. He's proven it time and time again since the day I came to know him that it had nothing to do with what I brought to the table, but it had everything to do with what he brings to the table. He's the ultimate God of trading up on our behalf and taking the weaknesses that we have and increasing his blessing in our lives. It says in Ephesians chapter 19, it starts to talk about, I don't know, many of you have heard this, the width, the length, the breadth, the height, the depth. There's a giant cube of God's love floating around in the physics of the kingdom of heaven that I can't comprehend. It says the love of God surpasses knowledge. I don't need to understand it. I don't need to figure it out. I don't need to have all the answers. I simply need to know the God that is Lord over my life has a plan that surpasses my plan. Right? Listen, church, when the plans that I have change, the purposes of God remain the same. The purposes that he predestined for you before the foundation of the world will never change no matter what man says about you, no matter who is trying to rule and reign over your life. You can declare he is Lord. And that gives me joy. Repeat the sounding joy. Let us never sing it half-heartedly again. I have a Lord and Savior that is real and practical in my life. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and it's like the whole chapter, but Paul begins to share with the church of Corinth that it wasn't with wisdom that he came to preach the word, but it was in demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. Guys, let me you got to grab a hold of this. I don't think you're understanding what I'm saying, that I don't need understanding. I don't need knowledge. I don't need wisdom of man. I don't need anything that comes from man. I just need a Lord and Savior that will rule and reign over my life. And as I surrender it to him, he will fill me up with the power of the Holy Spirit. We're preaching on joy today. It's the third candle. But I cannot have joy without the Holy Spirit. I can't, I can, I can fight for happiness. I might be able to squeeze out a little drop of joy every once in a while, but the reality in my flesh, all I've got is happiness or no happiness. But what I need is the joy of the Holy Spirit. 
It says to me in Ephesians, the Bible makes it clear that God gives us a measure. A measure. And he says over and over again that I want you to have the fullness. The fullness of that measure. But here's the problem. Every day I get up and I walk around with stuff inside of me. Now I have a daughter who's a baker. Casey's sitting over here and she bakes all the time. And, you know, sometimes she starts to bake and she takes that brown sugar and she packs it into that measuring cup and it compresses really good and she goes to flip it out. And sometimes stuff might get stuck on the side. Get a little moisture in the measuring cup and the flour stays there. Well, guess what? The reality is, is when I go to use it again, if I don't clean it out, the measure will not be to the fullness because there's something else in the cup. And what I got to say to us today is Jesus Christ might be Savior and Lord over your life, but I got to suggest to some of us that we're carrying around not a full measure, that there's stuff that's displacing the fullness of God in our lives. We might even walk around and say, oh, yes, my cup runneth over, hallelujah, right? We might get all Pentecostal, but the reality is this. The only reason my cup runneth over is because I've been displacing the fullness of the joy of the Lord in my life with depression, with unforgiveness, with with anger, with lust, with addiction, and it sits in the center of who I am, and joy fills all around it. But the reality is when I put my head down at night, I still acknowledge the void of Savior and Lord. Today needs to be a day of freedom for us, church. Today just can't be a message about joy. Joy only comes because there is salvation and healing and wholeness and freedom. Joy comes because there is more than just a message of truth. There is truly good news that there is freedom in this house today. Listen. (laughs) Oh, I'm starting to feel the Holy Spirit now. Come on. It says in James chapter 1, I love it, it says, count it all joy, the various trials by which I endure. Look at your neighbor again and say, the struggle is real. The struggle is real. Oh yeah, you don't have a job right now, Jim? Come on, where's your joy at? I think Ed set me up. He said, Jim, I heard that you're in a tough season. He called me up on the phone and said, Jim, I know you're going through a whole bunch of crap. You're in the middle of the poo-poo monsoon. And it's coming down. Oh, he said, why don't you come and preach on joy? (laughs) Bless your heart, Pastor Ed, bless your heart. I knew what you were doing. It was the big old rope-a-dope. You set me up. Oh, come and preach. Come and preach. Have some joy. Bless his heart. Come on. Count it all joy with which the various trials you endure. Why? Because it's not about my external that transforms my internal. It's about a Savior and Lord who did something. And no matter what man brings against me, he can't take it away. Turn with me, turn with me. If you got your Bible or you got your phone, you turn with me to John chapter 15 for a second. Listen, I want you to grab a hold of something. I want you to lock it in. I want you to write it down. I want you to tattoo it on your forehead backwards so when you look in the mirror, you can see it. I want you to understand. If you walk away with one thing today, I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this. John chapter 15 and verse 9 says this. I'm reading from the New King James if you want to follow along accordingly. As the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments 
and abide in his love. Wait a second, Jim. I thought we were preaching on joy. Why are you talking to me about love and commandments? Because you got to read the context. You can't just read verse 1 and isolate it. you got to read the next verse. Someone look down with me to verse 11. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full, fulfilled, overflowing, pressed down, shaking together, and overflowing, full. When you have the joy of the Lord, no man can steal it from you. Because it's not situational or circumstantial. It's empirical evidence on the inside of your soul that no one can take away. It's a joy. It's a joy, but it comes also with a peace that surpasses understanding. And if I can't lock into the peace that the Lord's given me, then I forget how to get to that place of joy. And I walk around like a zombie and I begin to accept the depression that's in my life and the fear and the anxiety and the worry. And I begin to acknowledge it as Savior and Lord of my life because it feels good. I begin to acknowledge the addiction of the thing that's in my life. And I start to think it's bigger than the God that I serve. But he said, if you love me and you obey my commandments the way that I have loved the Father and obeyed his commandments, then the rubric of your love for me is the joy that you get to walk around with because I pour out blessings on my people. Listen, I want to tell you a quick story. I don't have time to talk about this, man. I don't have time. I'm not one of these long-winded preachers. Oh, wait, maybe I am. Okay, so it says in Matthew chapter 8, there's this story about these disciple guys that Jesus says, get into the boat. And go over to the other side. I'll tell you, it says Matthew chapter 8 and verse 23. It's just that one line. He says, get in the boat and go to the other side. Jesus gets in the boat and he falls asleep. And what comes? Storm. The struggle comes. And what's Jesus doing in the storm? Sleeping. Why? Guys, I want you to grab a hold of something. Who sent him into the storm? Oh, let me tell you something. The storm that you're in today, the struggle that's real in your life might just very well have been sent to you by God because he wants to mature you. He wants to raise you up. He wants to encourage you that you need the fullness of joy, not just a little bit of joy that you've been walking in, but the fullness of joy that you can march around in. You need to know the fullness of joy. But what he was teaching in Matthew chapter 8 wasn't just joy, it was peace. Because he stands up and says, peace be still. There's another time that he says to the disciples, you can read it in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. And immediately he said, get into the boat and go to the other side and I will dismiss the crowds. And the disciples got in the boat and they went out into the water and he dismissed the crowds and Jesus went up on a hillside to pray. Later that night he came walking on the water and the disciples were in the midst of a storm and he said, peace be with you. Fear not, it is I. And Peter said, Lord, if it's you, bid me come. Peter had to walk in faith. He had to know that Jesus was his Lord and Savior of his life. He had to realize that he was about to be the exception and not the norm, that he was about to defy gravity and buoyancy, that he was about to be the one that did something radical and different. And he walked out on the water when Jesus said, come. But the point of the stories that I just shared with you are not about the miracles. Because some days later, in Acts, Peter goes to jail. 
In the days of Caesar Augustus, there was a man by name of Herod who had said to Caesar, there's been so many messianic revolts and so many of your tyrannical generals have come and slaughtered so many. Stop sending the generals. I'll go after anybody that calls themselves Messiah or preaches a new king to come and rule and reign in your stead. And so this guy Herod went after Peter when he was preaching. And he put him in prison and he locked him up. If you remember the story, he's locked up between two two guards in the center of the prison cell. And he was sitting there, and what was he doing? Oh, come on, I don't think you're hearing where I'm going with this. He was doing what in the middle of about to being crucified the next morning? He was what? In the middle of the storm? No, he was sleeping. In the middle of the storm, he was sound asleep. The angel came and said, Peter, wake up. Get up. And he stood up, and the chains fell off his wrists and his ankles, and he walked out following the angel through a door that just happened to open up before him because he was trained by Jesus, the Lord and Savior of his life, to have peace in the storm. That when Jesus said, come to walk, regardless if you understood what was going to happen next, because he stood up in faith, it wasn't in the seated position that the chains came off, church. It was when he got up that they fell off. He had to respond. You can't be a spectator to what God's doing in your life. You have to be a participant. You need to be able to stand up and say, no, Jesus is Lord of my life. Take down the eagle from the end of your flagpole and stick and put Jesus back on top. I'm sorry. I'm a professional yeller. They pay me to just yell at people. So if my volume's too loud, just turn me down. I told you I didn't need a microphone. Listen. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 says this, For the joy set before him, Jesus, endured the cross. I'm going to say something here that might sound pretty heretical to you, but Jesus didn't die for you and me. Jesus died because the Father said, I have a plan, and I'm going to ask you to go to the cross because I want to see a group of my creation, my sons and daughters, come back into right relationship with me. Because I read John chapter 15, I know that Jesus loved the Father and he obeyed the Father's commandments. And for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, which gave me an inheritance of spiritual blessings in heavenly places, which gave me the power of the Holy Spirit because he promised to send me a comforter who would give me not the gifts of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, and so on. He wants us to have a fullness of joy. Can you look at your struggle today and see it the way Jesus saw it? Yes, Father, I will take up my cross and follow. For the joy set before me, my momentary suffering is for nothing. It's as it doesn't even exist because there's a joy in my spirit. This whole message, this whole Advent season isn't just that Jesus came. It's not just about God became man. The real statement here is who gets the last word in your life? Who is Lord over your life? Because Jesus came to bring hope in a hopeless situation. Jesus came that when there was a rule. Listen, do you ever think this question? Jesus died and rose again. You know one of the questions that I would ask someone that just came back from the dead? What was it like on the other side? 
No, no one asked that question. Do you ever think that? Nowhere in this book does it say, what was it like? Was there a bright light? Did you see great grandma Joe? No, they said, oh, you're back now. Does this mean we get to overthrow Caesar? Because they saw someone who was sitting in the wrong throne that Jesus needed to be enthroned in the right place. And he, they thought it was about a temporary kingdom that was going to overthrow the Roman Empire. Who is sitting on the throne of your life? Who needs to be overthrown today? Let's not look at Jesus and say, what was it like on the other side? Let's simply say, oh, I'm glad you're back. Time to be Lord of my life. Because you're not a God that died. Because someone stabbed you in the back. Oh, you think you think Julius was the only one with a traitor? Jesus had a traitor. His name was Judas. Proverbially, got stabbed in the back, right? But didn't stop him. He didn't have death captive over him. He took death captive. It's a big difference. It's a huge difference. It's the reason I have joy this season. So let me say this to you. I know you guys end this service very different than how I'm used to. And supposedly there's communion and music and all kinds of fun stuff and praise God. But I can't share what I've shared and not ask you to respond because this is about participation. This isn't about you just hearing what I heard from God and me sharing it with you. That would just be silly. So let me say this, for those of you, and I have to start here, but for those of you who don't have Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior over your life, and you would say to me today, hey, I want to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of my life. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to that. And maybe you thought you were all in, but you're realizing that you're not necessarily a get out of the boat and walk on water kind of Christian because your joy isn't full and you don't realize, you don't, you don't really have the fullness of the things of God, and there's something in your life that's taking up space that you need to let go of. So for you, I would say, if that's you and you're holding on to something, if there's something sitting at the core of you that's sticking to the inside of your measuring cup that's not allowing you to have the fullness of the Holy Spirit and the power of heaven in your life, then you need to respond as well. And I dare say this, if you have been a Christian and you've been saved and you've been set free, that when we empty ourselves, and even as we were talking this morning, Uh, In prayer time at 9 o'clock this morning, it was interesting to hear someone say that it would be less of me and more of him. If you've made it so that it's less of you and you've emptied yourself of the stuff that you've been carrying, the only way to maintain that is then to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. Now, I'm not talking about the gifts of the Spirit. I'm not asking you to come up here and speak in tongues and prophesy and, and all that craziness. I'm just simply saying if you could come and respond to the baptism of the Holy Spirit for the purposes of the fruit of the Spirit to be made manifest in your life. That in this Advent season, that you would celebrate the true Lord and Savior with the fullness of joy, which is a fruit of the Spirit. So I would say this, that uh, I'm going to invite Ed and anybody else on the prayer team and my wife, if she would, if you need prayer, that we'll be here. So I'll invite the worship team up if you want to sing a song or or close us with some music ministry, that would be great. But if you would like some time of prayer, I would love the opportunity to pray with you. And I know that there are many other leaders in this church that would love the opportunity to pray with you. So let me just, for practical sake, if you need to know Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior in your life, I'm going to invite you to come up over here on this side. If you want freedom and 
and you want to experience the fullness, if there's something that's in your life that's stuck to the inside of your measuring cup and you need the fullness of God, I'm going to ask you to come up here in the middle. And if you want to believe with me for faith that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, not because you want the gifts, but because the biggest deal in this season isn't about the gifts. It's about the fruit of what happens when you're filled to the fullness. If you want some of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to ask you to come up to this side and, and that way we can know how to pray and walk through that and pray with each one of you. So I'm going to, I'm going to pray a prayer and close in prayer, but I'm going to invite you to come. As soon as I say amen, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. I'm going to ask you to like Peter, who was in chains, surrounded by guards, locked in a prison, take a stand with boldness to just simply listen to Jesus when he says, come and respond, because it's about a season of receiving, oh, joy that surpasses understanding and knowledge and wisdom. So Heavenly Father, we come before you today, and I thank you. I thank you for your presence here in this house. Holy Spirit, I thank you that this whole day, you have waged war in the heavenlies on our behalf. So that the things that have kept us bound in the past can be released. That chains can be broken and we can be set free. Father, whether it's for salvation or whether it's for fullness and freedom or if it's for the power of your spirit to come alive in us. Father, I pray that chains would be broken today in Jesus' name. That on the battleground of this red carpet of this sanctuary at Graceway Church, that today would be a day of new life and fullness and power. Father, I pray that, that the blood of Jesus Christ shed on Calvary would not be in vain on this day, that it would be a day of fullness, that it would be a day of power, that it would be a day of transformation. Oh, Lord, in Jesus' name, have your way today. Holy Spirit, not with my eloquent words, not that I have a single one, not with the sweat of my brow or the efforts that I put forth, God, but by the power of your Holy Spirit, will you draw men and women and children unto you today for freedom and fullness? So now, church, I say, I'm going to just say amen, and if that's you and you need to respond, then you come. So in the name of Jesus, we pray and ask, have your way in us. If that's you and you need to respond in any way, shape, or form, please come. Have the boldness to stand up out of that place and walk to the front and receive prayer and fullness because God is in the house today. He is Savior and Lord today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Bless your holy name, God.